This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. As often happens, we wind up short on time, so it's right to Burns and Allen and the story of the 99-year lease. Right here. Want the soap that's pure and gentle? Come on, come on, swing to Swan. Lever Brothers, the makers of Swan, the new white-floating soap, present the Burns and Allen Show with Paul Whiteman. <laughs> Our singer, Jimmy Cash, yours truly, Bill Goodwin, the six hits and a miss, and George Burns and Gracie Alice. And now we take you to the Burns home, where George and Gracie are just finishing breakfast. More cream, dear? Another slice of toast? No, thanks. Well, did you notice the toast wasn't burnt this morning? I finally had a man come up and look at the toaster. Good. It's about time. I made him take it apart and check the whole thing. He charged me five dollars, but it was worth it. Found out what the trouble was, huh? Mm-hmm. I was leaving the toast in it too long. <laughs> oh, fine. For another five dollars, you could probably tell you why the waffle line doesn't make coffee. Oh, George. Everybody knows that. There's a shortage of coffee. <laughs> Let's just drop the whole oh, thing. Oh, look, and... dear. Look out of the window. Where? What? There's Mr. Morton leaving for his office. Oh, thrill divine. Mrs. Morton is walking out to the gate with him. Now she's kissing him goodbye. George, have they been married to each other the same length of time? <laughs> of course they have. Why? Well, she kisses like they were just married, and he kisses like they've been married eight years. <laughs> Gracie, you shouldn't watch your neighbors. It's not nice. Oh, you know. you're right, dear. Mm. Oh, look, across the street, there's Fred Pomtag leaving for his office, and Mrs. Pomtag is kissing him goodbye. Oh, it must be heavenly. Stop being silly. George, I wish you didn't work at home. <laughs> if you had an office, I could kiss you every morning. Well, I do kiss you every morning. I know, but you never give me the pleasure of kissing you goodbye. <laughs> Look, I don't need an office. Well, we're just missing the best part of married life, that's all. Darling, I have no use for an office, and believe me, we're not missing the best part of married life. But in the movies, when Eric Melvin Douglas is married, he always leaves for the office in the morning and kisses Irene Dunn goodbye. Gracie, do I have to remind you that I'm not Melvin Douglas? No, George, you don't have to remind me. <laughs> We've been married for years, and this is the first time you ever mentioned an office. But I thought about it. Yesterday, I thought of make believe that you were leaving for the office. I actually stood in front of the house and waved for five minutes. Just waved to no one? Well, not as it turned out. But they all finally left and went over to the USO. 
<laughs> Smart piece of waving. Good. All the husbands of the girls in the club have offices downtown. For the last time, sweetheart, I don't need an office downtown just to do our radio program. That little rumpus room we fixed up for me is fine. Well, no, it isn't at all. At night, Blanche Morton can ask her husband if he had a hard day at the office. But how does it sound when I say, did you have a hard day in the rumpus room, dear? <laughs> Gracie, let's drop the discussion now. But, George... Now. My darling little duck. I'm awfully glad you're here, Herman. Mama wants to ask you a question. Now, uh, you're not very proud of your daddy, George, are you? <laughs> but suppose your daddy had a great big swanky office. Then you'd be proud of him, wouldn't you? <laughs> I wonder if they'll ever draft ducks. <laughs> but, Herman, if your daddy has an office, he'll be a big, important man like those men who... Uh, who'll control the railroad? And then he'll take you on the choo-choo. My darling, that's the best imitation I ever heard. Mama's so proud of her clever little boy. Oh. Oh, that's fine. A ham with drumsticks. <laughs> Gracie, maybe you've got something with that office. At least I'd get away from that silly duck. Oh, that's wonderful. You hear, Herman? Your daddy's getting an office. He's going to be a big businessman like Henry Kaiser. Do you know what Henry Kaiser builds? Uh-huh. <laughs> Herman, I'd just like to remind you one thing. The government needs fat. They need it for bullets and bombs, and they want us to take it to our meat dealers right now. Herman, what are you doing this evening? <laughs> go on, go on, oh, go no, on. George, I'm going to run up and get my hat. Uh, what did you say, dear? I'm going to get my hat, and we go right out and pick out an office. Okay, dear. Hi, George. Hello, Gracie. Oh, hello, Bill. I'll be right back, George. What's going on, George? Oh, nothing. I'm going to work in an office. Work in an office? George, what? If I catch you sitting on the boss's lap, I want my ring back. <laughs> Stop being funny. I'm going to rent an office for myself. Oh, well, you're lucky I came over. I know a girl who's a great secretary. Her name is Gwendolyn. Well, I don't want a secretary, Oh, but though. she's great, just, George. Her just, shorthand is sensational. I just... Listen, the other day I dictated a letter this fast. Now, get this. Uh, Dear madam, in case you haven't heard about it... Swan is the new pure white floating soap that's great for washing the dishes. Because Swan gives you suds faster than any other floating soap. And that's true even in hard water. Yeah, but I don't want a secretary. And George Gwendolyn read that letter right back to me. She read it. She read it back to me in shorthand. She said, Dear ma, Swan is new white floating soap that is great for water. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. (laughs) Look, I I I don't need a secretary. I'm just George Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn is the Toscanini of the keyboard. Oh, really? Yes, she types 160 words a minute. You ought to see those beautiful white hands flying over the keys. And why do you think she has beautiful white hands, George? Why, Bill? I'll tell you, George. (laughs) Well, sir, she uses Baby Gentle Swan for every soap and water job in the house. And no matter what you use Swan for, whether it's washing the dishes or some hankies, hose and undies or anything... 
swan is kind to your hands. That's why, George, and I'm glad you asked me. Bill, I don't care if Gwendolyn uses swan to play her mandolin. But, George... See, I'm not using... A, a George, who will write your letters, answer your <laughs> phone, and remind you of things you mustn't forget? Like the fact that Swan saves you money. Because with Swan in the house, you don't have to buy easily wasted packets. Okay, soap. okay. Stop t- t- talking. I'll hire her. I'll hire her. Hire her? You can't hire Gwendolyn. She's got a job. And she's crazy about her work. Why did you do all that talking? Well, George, I don't exactly hate my work either. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> At breakfast, I'll bet he wears a green wrapper with a white swan on the front. Uh, oh, George, while I was putting on my hat, I was thinking how wonderful your office is going to be. You are? Mm-hmm. Monday morning, you'll kiss me goodbye, and Monday night, you'll kiss me hello. Oh. And Tuesday morning, you'll kiss me goodbye, and Tuesday night, you'll kiss me hello. Uh, and Wednesday morning, you'll kiss me goodbye, and Thursday morning, you'll kiss me goodbye, and Thursday minute, night, you'll kiss me hello. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't come home from the office Wednesday night. <laughs> you didn't? Well, don't let it happen again. <laughs> What? The idea of leaving your poor little wife home slaving oh, over a hot stop stove while you're having a daytime in your office. Stop it. This is Paul Whiteman. Tonight, Jimmy Cash sings of a time we all hope will come soon. When the lights go on again. All right, Jimmy. When the lights go on again, all over the world, and the boys are home again, all over the world, and rain or snow is all. From the skies above, a kiss won't mean goodbye, but hello to love. When the lights gone again, all over the world, and the ship will sail again. This office building looks too expensive. I'm going across the street and try the other one. All I need is just a little cubby hole. Well, I'll talk to the manager and see what he's got here. Yeah, but don't look at anything too expensive. Well, you don't have to worry, dear. You know what I always say? A pound of pennies is why foolish. (laughs) Well, I know you always say that, but all I want is just a little cubby hole. I'll be right back. Oh, all right. Oh, let's see now. Oh, here's the manager's office. Um, uh, are you the manager? Yes, indeed, little lady. Well, uh, my husband, my husband would like to rent one of your offices. Oh. Uh, just a small cubby hole. 
Oh. Uh, well, not too small, of course. Sort of a medium-sized cubby hole. Oh. Uh, you know, like an office, like a large office. Oh. He, he'd like a big suite with three big rooms. Oh. Oh, well, I have the very thing you're looking for. Now, uh, if you'll just sign this lease. Oh, now, wait a minute. I'm much too careful to rush into anything that quickly. Oh, I see. Uh, has this suite got windows? Yes, indeed. Oh, good. Where do I sign? Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> right on that dotted line, little lady. Here's a pen. Thank you. Gracie Allen Burns. There you... Oh, my goodness. This lease is for 99 years. Is something wrong? Well, you see, my husband is a very healthy man, and he'd be upset if the lease expired before he did. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, uh, I wouldn't worry about it, little lady. Uh, now then, uh, what kind of office furniture will your husband require? Well, I don't know. What do you usually put in your office in? Oh, it all depends on what the office is used for, madam. Could be desks and steel files, a cabinet for law books, a dentist chair, an operating table, a stock ticker. Well, that sounds satisfactory. Uh, uh, which? All of them. <laughs> all of them? Of course. Little lady, do you happen to be married to Orson Welles? Oh, no. His name is George Burns. And that's the name I want on the door. George Burns Limited. With that office equipment, I hardly think he will be. I'll say. <laughs> what? I said with oh, that never office... never mind, never mind. I think I'd like to see the suite now. Oh, yes, of course. It adjoins my own office. Uh, just right out this door, if you please. Oh, here's my husband. Now we can see it together. Gracie, Gracie, I saw the cutest place across the street for only $25 a month, just exactly oh, no, what I wanted. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. I want you to see the little place I picked out. You picked out? Uh-huh. All right, Mr. Manager, open it up. <laughs> Gladly. There. Isn't it snug? Isn't it cozy? Snug? Cozy? Yes. And just think, it's yours for 99 years. Oh. <laughs> what an office. Six filing cabinets, five desks, twelve chairs. What a job moving this furniture in here. George, you'll, you'll have to move it all out again. Move it out? Why? It spoiled the echo. Look. <laughs> Gracie, will you sit down? All I wanted was one little room. And I've got an office you could hide a flying, a flying fortress in. Oh, but now I can kiss you every night when you come home. If, if you had a little office, I, I'd just give you one little kiss. But you've got a big office with three big rooms, so I'll give you three great big kisses. Well, glad you didn't rent the whole floor. I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> That's funny. Who knows we're here? Well, it's probably the girls from the employment agency. I told them you'd want a secretary. Now, wait a minute. All I wanted was just a little copy hole. Well, I don't all wanna... big men have secretaries, George. You can take one of these girls temporarily, and then later on you can hire somebody more experienced, like Secretary Morgenthau or Secretary Hall. <laughs> Look, Gracie... Come in. We're from the Acme Agency. Are you the party who's looking for a secretary? Oh, yes. I'll interview you both. Uh, your name is? Lucille Helt. I'm very good. I'd still be working if my last boss hadn't been drafted. Before he was drafted, he was in women's dresses. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose it takes all kinds to make an army. <laughs> um, Lucille, uh, what would your salary be? Well, um, 20 a week. 20 a week? Oh, that's not enough. You should get at least 35. 
Oh, that'd be wonderful. Well, in fact, for a girl who's really a good secretary, I don't think $50 is too much to you. Oh, no, $50 would be fine. Well, I'm sure you're capable, Lucille, but that's a little more than my husband can afford. Next girl. <laughs> Gracie, she said she'd work for... Tri- uh, what's your name, miss? Uh, Geraldine Bojo. And I'm very good at taking shorthand. Well, I'll try you out. I'll dictate a short business letter to you. Ready? Mm-hmm. Um, George Burns Limited. Dear Limited, <laughs> we, uh, we received your contents and the 15th inch was duly noted. Thanking you in the past for advanced favors, we are. Now, read it back. Um, George Burns Limited. Dear Limited, we received your contents and the 15th inch was duly noted. Thanking you in the past for advanced favors, we are. Oh, I'm sorry, Geraldine, but that letter doesn't make a bit of sense. Next girl. <laughs> Next girl. Now, oh, dear. She was the last one. Well, good, good. Forget the secretary. Oh, no, George. I'm going to keep trying until I find you a girl who is intelligent and capable and clever and... Well, I know just the girl. Well, all right. Send her on next week. Oh, why, wait. I can start right now. Go ahead and dictate. You? Yeah, me. Oh, <laughs> Six hits and a miss, and the boys in the band, and one of Jerome Kearns and Johnny Mercer's very, very best, Dearly Beloved.
suite of rooms. This office is ridiculous, Gracie. Miss Allen, please. Huh? Well, I'm just your secretary now, so you better call me Miss Allen. Or Toots. <laughs> I, uh, Toots. Yeah, and I'll call you GB. GB? That's office stuff for George Burns. You know, your initial GB. I don't want you to call me GB. But that's the way it's done, dear. My sister Bessie used to be secretary for a man named Philip Simmons, and she always called him FC. <laughs> I don't care what your sister Bessie did. All I wanted was yeah, a little cubby hole. It's fun being a secretary. <laughs> I hope I don't make a great big fool of myself and fall in love with the boss. <laughs> oh, stop. I'll be the laughing stock of all my friends. Oh, don't you worry, dear. They laughed at all great men. They even laughed at Lincoln. But he went right ahead and invented the highway. <laughs> all right, all right, now, I don't would... Don't get excited, oh. GB. And quit with that GB. GB, what is this? Probably the janitor. Come in. Oh, wait, George. The secretary does the work. Come in. Thanks, thanks. Holy smokes, what a place. Do you like our little office, Bill? Well, yeah, I've always wondered how the Rose Bowl would look with a roof. <laughs> you haven't seen anything, Bill. Look at this. Where's the barbecue pit? <laughs> I've got three rooms like this, and it's silly. I've got no business. No one wants to see me. Oh, oh, hey, excuse me, boys. I'm going out into the hall. Tracy. Yeah, I've got an idea. George, why don't you get a smaller office? Why? Because the landlord had Gracie sign a 99-year lease. A 99-year lease? Why, he can't do that, George. Give me that phone. I'll break that lease for you. Well, how can you break the lease? Listen, I didn't go to law school two months for nothing. <laughs> Hello, landlord. I'm calling for George Burns. Now, listen, you unethical, money-grabbing old... Me? Mm. I'm Bill Goodwin, and I'm telling you that if... You do? Well, gee, it is a wonderful show. Oh. Isn't it? <laughs> Bill, the lease, you said something about breaking the yes, lease. Yes, sir, landlord, you... that's exactly what I always yeah. say. Swan is the new pure white floating soap that's a honey for suds. Mm. Yes, sir, I never saw such suds in all my life. Fast, too. Look, Bill, you came in, you said you had an oh, idea your wife about, too, about, huh? uh, about... Well, why shouldn't she be, especially since there's a little baby in the house? Mm. Swan's perfect for bathing the baby. It's as mild and pure as the finest Castile soap. That's what makes it so swell for your face and hands. Yeah, like peaches and cream. At least, Bill, break it, break it, break uh -huh. it, break it, break oh, it. Oh, yes. Break it. Oh, landlord, Mr. Burns suggests you break it. Break it, break it. Yeah, break, break it. swan in two. Yes, sir. <laughs> Use half in the kitchen for dishes and housework and put the other half in your bathroom for your shower or tub. Look, Bill, you brought this on yourself. Oh, you see, that's great. Just yes, great. A, a oh. cake of swan in every office? Oh, thank you. Goodbye. Well, that's a fine way to break a lease. Now, wait a minute. You want to break the lease with a landlord who's going to give swan soap to all his tenants? Why, shame on you. It's men like you who cause bottlenecks. <laughs> leaving so soon, Bill? Well, yes. Gracie, your husband is without a doubt. Who's your friend? Oh, him? Well, he's the gentleman I found out here in the hall. What'd you say your name was? William Murray. Uh, Mr. Murray is going in to see George. Oh, well, chins up, Mr. Murray. So long. <laughs> Mr. Murray, GB will see you now. Well, what do I want to see him for? Well, Mr. Burns just opened this office, and you can be his very first customer. But I can't afford to buy anything, lady. You see, what with the $25,000 ceiling and the fact that I ain't worked in 12 years? Oh. <laughs> Why, it won't cost you a cent. Everything is with our compliments, absolutely free of charge. Go right in. I'll wait out here. Yes, ma'am. Uh... 
<clears throat> yes? Uh, I do. <laughs> I do? Nice office you have here. Thanks. Big. Yeah, yeah. Mighty big. Mighty big, mighty big. <laughs> Uh, who are you anyway, and what do you want? I'm I'm your first customer. <laughs> customer? Yeah, I'm kind of in a hurry, so if you don't mind, I'll just take one and go. <laughs> take one what? I don't know. What business are you in? <laughs> Radio programs. Well, you better give me just a small one. I don't use them very often. <laughs> Look, Bud, you must be in the wrong office. I don't give away any samples. Now, there's the door right there. Yes, sir. I'm sorry I took up your time. That's all right. Goodbye. In case I don't see you again, I'd like to wish you a very merry Christmas. Out, 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 Well, did you enjoy your visit with D.V., Mr. Murray? He gave me a brush. Oh, well, that's nice. Take care of it. You never know what they'll ration next. <laughs> Come again. Pardon me, miss. I'm looking for the office of Rubicum and Young, Attorneys at Law. Well, go right in. G.B. will be glad to see you. Oh, is G.B. Rubicum or Young? Well, uh, he's not young. <laughs> well, then he must be Rubicum. I'll go right in. Good afternoon. Yes, what is it? I'd like to divorce my husband. <laughs> well, what's that got to do with me? You're the man I want. <laughs> Who, me? Yes. I want you to go to Reno with me. What? I'll pay all your expenses. Well, gee, this is very flattering, lady, but, but, you see... Then you'll go? Well, look, I'm a married man. I, I, I... What difference does that make? You're a lawyer, aren't you? A lawyer? I'm no lawyer. Oh, so you just wanted to hear my troubles, huh? Curious, huh? Oh, Hereafter, you can listen to Mr. Anthony. What's going on around here? Uh, this way, Mr. Davis. Another customer, GB. So you've been sending in these people. Lady, I'm sort of in a hurry. Oh, and well, I... a GB will take care of you right away, Mr. Davis. Gee, lady, I don't what know. What is this? What does this guy want? Well, if it's all the same to you, I'm sort of in a oh, hurry. Oh, your worries are over, Mr. Davis. Just ask my husband about whatever's on your mind. Go on, ask him. Okay. Hey, mister, is there a place on this floor where a fella could wash his hands? Out, 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 out. You and your ideas. This office will drive me crazy. And I'm stuck, stuck with a 99-year lease. Oh, you it's... worried about the lease? Well, I'll break it, that's all. That's all, huh? Well, where's the phone? Hmm. Just break it, that's all. Hello? Oh, boy. Hello, is this the manager? Well, this is Mrs. Burns. I'd like to break my lease, please. You will? What? What? Oh, all right. Well, thank you very much. Goodbye. Well, it's all settled here. Come on home. You mean you got me out of the lease? Well, sure. All you have to do is pay him for 98 years. <laughs> 98 years? Mm-hmm. He's given us the last year free to keep our friendship. Oh, After a day like that, it's sure nice to be home in bed. 
Thank goodness that fella finally tore up the lease. Good night, sweetheart. Good night, G.B. I'll stop with that, G.B. From now on, that office talk is out. All right, George. Well, P.D. P.D.? That's office talk for pleasant dreams. Oh. <laughs> the makers of Swan, the new white floating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune in again next week, same time. These programs are shortwave to our armed forces everywhere. Remember, Swan now brings you two of radio's top shows. George Burns and Gracie Allen every Tuesday night, and Tommy Riggs and Betty Lou every Friday night over another network. And now till next week, this is Bill Goodwin saying, Well, I, Swan, how about you? Stay tuned for Challenge of the Yukon, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Challenge of the Yukon. The Challenge of the Yukon. <laughs> it's King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the North Country, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. <laughs> Gold. Gold discovered in the Yukon, a stampede to the Klondike in the greedy race for riches. Now back to the days of the gold rush when Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog King battled through storm and snow to preserve law and order as they met the challenge of the Yukon. Sergeant Preston, with his dog King at his side, knocked at the door of Jim Crane's cabin on the outskirts of Dawson. The door was opened by young Tommy, Jim's 12-year-old son. Hello, Sergeant Preston. Come in. How are you, King, old fella? How are you, Tommy? Your father here? He'll be be here any minute now, I think. Uh, He went over to Tim Lacey's to look at some furs. Take your park off and sit down, Sergeant. Thanks, Tom. I came over to have a look at those sled dogs your dad has to sell. They're out in the kennels. Did did Dad tell you that Vixen had her pups? Yes. They're, uh... About ten days old now, aren't they? Yeah, and the cutest things you ever saw. Huh? I've got one of them right here in this box. Uh, well, will King hurt him if I show him to you? Oh, no, King won't hurt a puppy. Come here, King. Down, boy. Look at him, Sergeant. Isn't he a beauty? Oh, I should say so. Let's have a look at you, young fella. Well, he's a good dog. Nice bones and build. His stomach is all swollen up. I guess he ate too much dinner. <laughs> that reminds me of the last case I was on. Was it that bank robbery? Yes, Tom. I just got back a few days ago. I heard something about it. Gee, Sergeant, what happened? Will you tell me about it? As long as you're going to be waiting for Dad, you'll have time. Why, sure. But you'd uh, better put this little fellow back in his box. I think he's sleeping. Guess I'd better. He always gets sleepy after he eats. There we are, Spot. What a sleep. Gee, Sergeant, I've been waiting to hear about you getting those robbers. You discovered that the bank had been robbed before anybody, didn't you? Yes, I did. But the robbery was evidently planned about a week before. There were two men who arrived in Dawson about that time with the names of Hank Sims and Tim Johnson. They came into the Gold Nugget Bar quite often, but didn't mix with the other men very much. However, they did manage to meet Jed Wilcox, the old man who sleeps in the back room of the bank. They called him to their table one night. Look over there, Tim. That's the old codger I was telling you about. He don't look very dangerous. (laughs) You sure he's the one who guards the bank? 
Pretty sure. He's coming this way. This is as good a time as any to find out. Uh, hello, mister. Uh, oh, howdy. Well, I don't remember seeing you in town before. You strangers? <laughs> Sit down and get acquainted. Uh, I won't be able to stay with you long. I got to go to work. You don't work at night, do you? Yep, I do. I came up to the Yukon to look for gold, same as everybody else, but my luck ran out on me, I guess. Before I hit any pay dirt, I had a bad accident. I slipped on some ice and injured my back. I was in a pretty bad spot, I can tell you. Are you the bank clerk? Oh, no, no. I ain't very good at figures. I just sleep in the back room, watching it from night. That sounds easy enough. Well, it ain't too hard, but it don't pay much. I guess I'm lucky to be working at all, though. Hank and Tim waited almost a week before going ahead with their plan. They bought a good dog team and loaded up with supplies. Then at midnight, one night when it was snowing and cold and the town was quiet, they drove up to the bank. Can you get it open, Tim? Getting locks open is my business. This is nothing. There, it's open. Easy now. You get over and turn that lantern down a little. Someone might see us from the street. I'm going to need a little light to crack that safe. There ain't anybody on the street. We're safe enough. Oh, old Jed is a sound sleeper. Yeah. Oh, you clumsy fool. I couldn't help it. It slipped out of my hand. You woke the old man up. Get over there beside that door. Who's there? Hey, what are you doing? Yeah, that did it. He won't give us any trouble now. Uh, good. I wonder if the old duffer saw me. He didn't get a chance. I got him the minute he stuck his head in. I'll tie him up and gag him. Now you get back and see what you can do about that safe. We better get out of here fast. I was coming home from a patrol north. Got into town early that morning before anybody was up. When I passed the bank, I noticed that the door was open. I stopped the dog team and decided to have a look. Parking! Oh, you huskies! King, come along, fella. Oh, that's funny. There's nobody here. What is it, King? Jed. Uh, wait a minute. I'll get that gag out of your mouth. There. Are you hurt? Uh, thanks, Sergeant. I'm hurt, but not too bad. Good. I'll untie these ropes. There. Oh, I've been lying on this floor all night. I'm cold and stiff. I'll help you up, Jed. Now, sit over here near the stove. There's not much fire in it, but I'll poke it up. Uh, the bank's been robbed, Sergeant. Tell me about it while I fix this fire. Oh, I got a lump on my head the size of a hen's hay. They hit me with the butt of a gun. Lucky I got a good thick head. I wouldn't be here to tell you about it. Did you get a look at them at all? Yes, I saw one of them. Huh? It's a man who's been hanging around the Gold Nugget Bar for about a week. He's a big fella with a scar on his face from his left eye down to his lip. His beard don't cover it. Do you know his name? Well, I heard the bartender call him Hank one night... Maybe he can tell you something about it. I'll check there later. Now, uh, tell me what happened. Well, I sleep in the back room here, you know. Yes. 
Well, last night I woke up and thought I heard a noise. I keep a lantern burning in here all night. So I got my gun and came to see what was wrong. When I opened the door, I saw this Hank standing in the middle of the room. Just then, something hit me from behind. His partner was probably waiting beside the door when you opened it. I never knew what hit me. When I woke up, I was tired and gagged and couldn't move a muscle. It's a wonder they didn't kill you. This, this Hank fella didn't know what a good look I got of him, or he probably would have. He... He just happened to be standing where the lantern light showed up that scar on his face. How much did they take? We had over $50,000 worth of gold in this bank. And they took every bit of it, I suppose. Well, we checked, and the thieves had taken everything they could carry. $50,000 worth of gold in dust and nuggets is a heavy load. It had snowed early that morning, but I remembered seeing rather a fresh trail when I came into town. The tracks were deep, and the snow hadn't quite filled them. I hadn't passed a sled or a team on the way, so they may have heard me coming and hidden. I reported the case to headquarters and asked to be assigned to it. Inspector Grayson gave me my instructions. Oh, uh, Sergeant, I'm sending a man with you on this case. It's Corporal Terry. Just been transferred here from Montreal. You've met him, haven't you? I met him this morning, sir. Jim Terry's a good man, but this is his first trip north. Knowing the North the way you do, Sergeant, I can't think of a better way for him to learn than going on a case with you. Well, thank you, sir. We have a very accurate description of these men who robbed the bank. You can't miss Hank Sims, as he calls himself, with that scar on his face. The man who's with him has two fingers missing on his left hand. His name is Tim Johnson. I'm sure they must have left town by the trail that I came in on, sir. That's very possible, Sergeant. I think you and Corporal Terry had better try that direction. Perhaps you can pick up some information at trading posts or from trappers along the way. At least it's a place to start. Remember, they have a heavy load, Sergeant. You won't be able to travel very fast. I was glad to have young Corporal Terry with me. We seldom travel alone at this time of year because the temperature is liable to drop to 50 or 60 below zero. And it's very dangerous to be alone on the trail when that happens. Corporal Terry's initiation to the ways of the North Country wasn't easy. First day we were out, the temperature fell to 65 below zero. So we holed up in the trapper's cabin for a day or two. But the men we were after didn't dare to stop. They had a heavy load on their sled and didn't want to be seen by anybody. Hank Sims and his partner Tim Johnson were mushing along the trail that led along a creek when the temperature dropped. Tim wasn't used to the north. Hank, we got to stop and build a fire. This cold is eating right into my bones. Yeah, we can't stop. This ain't the time to go soft. They'll have a mounty on our trail by this time, sure. But my foot's numb. Keep moving. If you stop, you'll freeze. Uh-oh, my foot. Hank, wait. Oh, oh there. Hank, my foot broke through. It's wet. Ah, oh, you fool. I told you to watch out for spots like that on this creek. I get that boot off right away. Yeah, how can there be water when it's so cold? This creek is fed by springs. The snow and ice freezes over the top, but there's a pool of water under it. I told you to watch out. I'll get a fire belt. Hank, my hand, my fingers are numb. I can't open these laces. You should have cut them open. Your hand is frozen. Don't you know you can't take off a mitten in this temperature? Oh, why did I bring you with me, you stupid fool? Hank, my foot, there ain't no feeling in it. I... 
I can't walk. By the time I build a fire and get your foot fixed, we'll lose hours of time. Maybe I could ride on the sled. Maybe we could like it. we got too big a load now. If you think we're going to drop off supplies so you can ride, you're crazy. But, Hank, my foot's froze solid. It's like a piece of ice. I ain't going to lose time just because you're a fool. I told you to be careful. Hank, Hank, don't leave me. I, I can't walk. Marsh, Marsh, your huskies. Marsh. Hank, come back. Don't leave me. Hank. Hey! Two days later, Corporal Terry and I were mushing along that same creek. We weren't at all sure that we were on the trail of the thieves, but I was heading for a trading post where I hoped Hank might have stopped. All of a sudden, King barked up ahead of the team. Oh, how are you, huskies? Something wrong, Sergeant? Yes, Corporal. Look there, beside the creek. You mean that white figure? Looks like a snowman. It's a man covered with snow. Come on. Look out, Terry. Go around that place. That's one of those traps I was telling you about. There's a spring under the ice right there. I got to watch where I was going. Yes, King. It's a man, all right. Why, look. He froze to death sitting up. They were fools to try and travel at low temperature. They didn't know the country too well. Sergeant, do you think he's one of the men we're after? Yes. Now we know we're on the right trail. Look here, Corporal. His left hand, the one without the mitten. Two fingers are missing. But the other one, the other man... uh... Hank, why didn't he take him on a sled or something? Well, you see this foot? Has ice all over it, like an icy boot. Tim probably stepped into a hole, and Hank didn't want to waste any precious time saving him. But to leave him like this, to freeze. And now we know what kind of a man we're after. But he's left a clear trail in the snow. Yeah, but look, it's beginning to snow. Big flakes, too. This trail will be covered in less than an hour. Or at least we know what territory he's in, Sergeant. We covered Tim's body with branches and went on. The temperature was higher, but the snowfall was very heavy, and we lost a lot of time breaking the trail. Complete darkness had fallen, and we were about five miles past the trading post, and I headed for the lights of the Cranston cabin. The Cransons were friends of mine. The Cransons will put us up tonight, Corporal. They're a nice family. You'll like them. A family, you say? You mean a wife, maybe children? Yes, a little girl. Her name's Jane, and she's about ten years old. Why would a man bring a wife and child way out here in the wilderness? Jim makes a good living trapping in winter, and he takes a lot of gold out of the creek in summer. He'll have enough to retire soon and go back to civilization. Oh, uh, they must have heard us coming. There's Jim now. Who is it? It's Preston, Jim. Working. Well, Sergeant... I'm sure glad to see you. This is Corporal Terry, Jim Cranston. Hey, hello, Corporal. Can you put us up for the night? I sure can. Good. Molly has supper ready, too. Come on in. I'll take care of the dog, Sergeant. You go on in. Well, thanks, Corporal. Give them a lot of food. They've had a tough day. I'll take King in with me. Come on, boy. Oh, Molly. It's Sergeant Preston. Hello, Molly. Sergeant, how are you? Sergeant Preston. Oh, goody. Hello, Jane. How's my best girl? Oh, Sergeant, I'm so glad you came. I've got something to show you. Oh. Look, over here by the stove. Jane, give the sergeant time to take his park off. Oh, he can do it later, Mommy. Look, I got a new puppy. Oh, King won't hurt him, will he? No. Go on back, King. <laughs> Why, he's a beautiful pup. Do you want to hold him? Come on, Frisky. Oh, he's nice. But... Great Scott, look at that stomach. <laughs> He's swollen up like a balloon. <laughs> Jane fed him too much. Oh. Jim and I went to the trading post this afternoon. 
We got back just a little while ago, and Jane had just finished overfeeding I him. See. I thought he must be very hungry because he ate half of one of my moccasins, so I gave him all he could hold. He sure can hold a lot, too. Well, puffs are little gluttons, Jane. They like to eat. But getting all they can hold isn't too good for them. He swells up like that after all his meals. So would you if you ate the way he does. <laughs> well, he'll get skinny again. He always does. I never saw anything get so fat and skinny so fast. <laughs> Put the puppy on the floor, Sergeant, and take your park off. There you go, Frisky. I'll be nice to him, King. Jane, you see that they make friends with each other. I will. Oh, look at Frisky. He's so afraid of King. He's lying on his back and waving his feet in the air. Uh, let me Come take on. your things, Sergeant. Oh, uh, thanks, Jen. Make yourself comfortable beside the fire. Thanks, I will. Dog's all right for the night. Oh, Molly, this is Corporal Terry, Mrs. Cranston. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Cranston? Jim will take your parka, Corporal. Just sit down and get warm. Oh, thanks. I'll have supper ready in no time. Yeah, Jim. Oh, this fire certainly feels good. Are you boys up here for any special reason? We're trailing a bank robber, Jim. He got away with a fortune in gold. You haven't seen anything of a man with a scar on his face and a black beard, have you? Well, a couple of days ago, right after that coal spill we had, I saw a man with a six-dog team. Oh? I was coming home from my trap line. He crossed the trail just as I was coming to it. I yelled at him, thinking he might be someone I knew. But he didn't stop. He just waved and kept right on going. Was he packing a heavy load? He sure was. His dogs were having a rough time breaking the trail. Sounds like our man. The time would be about right, too. He was headed towards the mountains. He may hide out somewhere around here for a while. If I were you, Jim, I'd keep Jane close to the house for a few days. It's lonely around here. I'll do that, Sergeant. By a streak of good fortune, we picked up Hank's trail again the next day. My team was fresh, and we made excellent time over the hard snow crust. That night, we camped out and got an early start the following morning. The mountains loomed close now. It was noon, and we came upon a campsite. Walking! Oh, huskies! This looks like the place Hank slept last night, Terry. Do you think we're that close on his heels? Yes, he's lost time somewhere. Of course, he hasn't given his dogs much rest, and they're pulling a lot of weight. We can go about twice as fast. How do you suppose he figures to get up that mountain trail with a tired team? I think that's where we'll catch him, Corporal. Unless he outsmarts us some way. If he once gets through those mountains, he might be able to make the border. He's not going to get through those mountains. Come on. On tang! On, you We had no trouble following Hank's trail then. The wind had blown the loose snow away and left a hard-packed crust. But here and there, Hank's sled had made an imprint. And now and then we saw footprints where the snow was protected from the wind. There was very little daylight left when we approached the mountains. The trail led up like a great curved snake and jagged rocks hung over it. Suddenly there was a gunshot. I heard the whine of a bullet past my head and a dull plop as it hit the snow. I shouted at the dogs. Okay, hold your huskies. Get down, Terry, behind the sled, quick. Say, that was close. Back here, King. Good fella. Down, boy. Hank must have seen us coming. He's up on that mountain trail to the left, behind those rocks. He's probably been watching for us. There. I saw him that time. He couldn't wait any longer. It's getting dark. Hope he doesn't shoot the dogs. Guess we were closer to him than we thought we were. Wish we had more shelter. Maybe I can get a bead on him. That worked from this side. It's hard to see him in that shadow. Sergeant, look. Up above him. Those rocks. 
The shot started an avalanche. We're all right. We're not in this path. Gosh, I never saw anything like that in my life. Looked as if half the mountain fell on him. I'm afraid that's the end of Hank. He's buried under tons of ice and rock. And I'm afraid that's the end of the bank's gold, too. It's buried with him. But can a shot start an avalanche like that? Oh, yes. Rocks get loaded with ice and snow, and any slight jar can start them down. And once started, they take everything in their path. It was the most horrible thing I ever saw. Glad we weren't any closer. I think it's safe to go over there now. Come on, Derek. Let's see what we can find. All right, Sergeant. It's hard to believe a shot can do that. Of course, our task was a hopeless one. We couldn't even get near the spot where Hank had last been seen. There were tons of ice and rocks covering the trail, and Hank was buried far beneath them. We camped at the base of the mountain that night and started back the following day. I decided to stop on the way home to tell the Cransons that they no longer had to worry about a criminal in that vicinity. It was about noon, two days later, when we arrived at their cabin. Hello, Sergeant Preston. Hello, Corporal. We're back sooner than I thought we'd be, Molly. Come on in. Jim and Jane aren't here, but they will be soon. Sit down and take your coats off while I make some hot tea. Thanks. I could sure use some. Did you get the man you were after? Not exactly, but he won't bother anyone anymore. He's dead. Dead? Oh, dear. He got caught in an avalanche right in front of us. It buried him and all the gold he stole. Won't they be able to recover it? I'm afraid not. Well, at least the country's rid of a thief and a murderer. When I think of him leaving that man to freeze, it's worth all the money to be rid of him. The bank won't be too happy about it, I'm afraid. What'd you say Jim was? He's out with Jane looking for Frisky. Pup's been gone for a day and a night, and Jane's almost frantic. Oh, Sergeant Preston. I'm so glad you came back. You and King will find Frisky. I know you will. Tell me about it, Jane. Jane, dear, Sergeant Preston can't waste time hunting for puppies. He's on duty. Oh, but I love Frisky. He's the only thing that's all mine. And and if I don't find him, I'll just die, that's all. Now, Jane, dear, don't cry. Of course we'll help you find your pup. You... You will? Oh, Sergeant, I just know you would. Really, Sergeant... It's too much to ask you to do this. It will take too much time. Jane, dear, you can't... Now, Molly, after all, Jane's a citizen. She lost her puppy, and she has a right to ask the law to help her get it back. What do you say, Corporal Terry? I agree with you. You see, Molly? Oh, thank you. I knew you'd know how I felt, because you love King so much. Now, tell me about Frisky. When did he disappear? Well, it was yesterday morning... He ran away from me. I couldn't go after him because Mother made me promise not to go away from the house. I'm so afraid he got caught in a trap or something. Daddy's still looking for him. But I thought I heard King barking, so I came back to the house. Oh, there's Daddy now. Daddy, did you find him? No, Jane. Hello, Sergeant. Hello, Jim. How are you, Terry? That's fine. Did you lose track of the robbery you were chasing? No, we got him, but I'd better tell you about it later, Jim. Sergeant Preston, Corporal Terry are going to help us find Frisky. Well, I'm afraid it's hopeless, Jane. I've looked pretty thoroughly. Didn't he leave any tracks? Well, there were some leading away from the cabin where the snow was loose, but they end over here a ways. The snow crust is hard, the wind blew the loose snow away. He was delighted he didn't leave any tracks on the crust. Well, at least you know what direction he took. Well, he was a strong pup. I'm afraid he wandered a long way off. Maybe got caught in a trap. Oh, 
Wolf may have got him. Oh, Daddy, no. Sergeant Prince. No, don't worry, Jane. Maybe King can help us find him. Oh, King knows him. They got to be good friends when you stayed here that night. Well, this is too much to ask of you, Sergeant. You lose too much time. <laughs> After being on a manhunt, <laughs> this seems rather foolish. Not at all, Jim. Frisky means more to Jane than that gold does to the bank. I know how I'd feel if King were missing. Oh, can we start looking right now? Well, first of all, we have to let King know what we're looking for, dear. Uh, have you anything here that smells like Frisky so that King can get the scent? Oh, dear. I brushed Frisky so much and kept him so clean that he didn't smell at all. Uh, well, that's not what I mean, Jane. You see, dogs can smell things that humans can't. Everything has some sort of scent, and a dog's nose is very keen. He depends on that more than he does his eyes. Frisky's blanket is in his box. Would that do, Sergeant? Well, that'll be fine, Molly. I'll let King smell that, and we'll find Frisky if he's still alive. I'll get it, Sergeant. I just know King will find Frisky. I've trained King to find things by giving him the scent and telling him to search. We found a lot of people that way by letting him smell a garment they've worn. Well, we took Frisky's blanket with us and followed the tracks he'd left. They went north and ended, as Jim said, where the snow crust was hard and shiny. I let King smell the blanket, and from there on, he took over. We crisscrossed back and forth for a time, and then a light wind came up from the north. Suddenly, King sniffed the air, whined, and started off in a straight line. We were almost a mile from the cabin, but little Jane struggled along with us. King would wait for us and continue straight ahead. All right, King, we're coming. Frisky is, Sergeant. He seems to be after something, Jane. Jane, dear, uh, aren't you tired? Why don't you wait here for us? I'm not tired, Daddy. Sergeant, King seems to have found something. He's stopping beside that big rock. I see King, but I don't see any sign of Frisky. Maybe he found a rabbit or something. No, King knows what he's looking for. Oh, I hope it's Frisky. There's a pile of small rocks piled up against that big one. What is it, fella? He's scratching at those rocks, looking through that crack between them. Listen. Let's move these rocks and get him out of there. Come on, Terry. I'll help it. Let's see how he got in here. This one will do it. Ah, here he is. Oh, oh Frisky. I'm so glad to get you back. Look at him. How fatty is that stomach? After being in there for two days. Wait a minute. Come on, boys. Help me move some more of these rocks. Oh, sure. I'll get this one here. Yeah, that does it. Something in that hole in the side of the big rock. Well, what is it? There's something. Well, a sack of dried fish ripped open. And there's more food in there, I think. Wait, I'll get it. This must be somebody's cache. What's a cache, Daddy? Well, it's a place where someone hides food to use later. He comes back from a trip along the same route. There's more than food in this one. Look at this, Jim. It's a bag. It's a bag of gold. The bag belongs to the bank in Dawson. Corporal? I think this gold was hidden here by Hank Sims. You mean the man you were chasing? That's right. He hid the gold here along with a lot of supplies. And that gave him a light load to carry, and he planned to lead us off into the mountains where he could ambush us. Then he'd come back, pick up the gold and supplies. Or maybe he thought he'd get over the border and come back after we'd stopped chasing him. You see, uh, he couldn't have made it with a heavy load of gold. And uh, now you can take the gold back to the bank. Yes, thanks to Frisky. But how did Frisky get in there? And why didn't he come out the same way and come home? Well, Jane, I think Frisky went exploring. 
He must have smelled the food in here with the gold, squeezed through a crack between the rocks. But after he ate all he could, his stomach was too big to get out again, so he probably just lay down and went to sleep. But he always gets thin when he hasn't eaten for a while. But when he's thin, dear, he's hungry. So when he woke up, he filled up again and couldn't get out. Well, come on, Gorbo. Let's get the rest of the gold out of here. All right, Sergeant. That pup is sure a little glutton. Oh, but I love him. And I love King, too. So, Tommy, that's how we got the gold back for the bank. Some of it was your father's, I think. Gee, Sergeant, and that was swell. I hope I can train my pup the way you did King. Oh, it isn't hard if you're patient. We're sure lucky that you thought the pup was just as important to find as gold. What well, was important, Tommy. A dog is a good friend. And a faithful friend is much more important than gold. Isn't it, King? <laughs> The Challenge of the Yukon, a copyrighted feature, is brought to you each week at this time, and all characters, names, and incidents used are fictitious. Listen again next week to another exciting adventure during the days of the gold rush. L. Prowl speaking. This program came to you from Detroit. Eavesdropping can be excused. That is, if it's done by way of the candid microphone, a new and different show that we bring you every Sunday night over most of these ABC stations, this novel experiment in radio uses no actors and no scripts. You hear nothing but the honest reactions of citizens in all walks of life to various everyday questions and situations. As the candid camera catches people off guard and reveals them in unposed photographs, so a candid microphone brings conversations of people to the air in unrehearsed scenes from everyday life. And that's exactly what is done on Candid Microphone. ABC's roving reporter, aided and abetted by a candid microphone, catches people as they are in varying circumstances. Mad, glad, sad, working, playing, shopping, or just talking. For entertainment that's fresh and different, join us when Candid Microphone talks out tomorrow night over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Cisco Kid, followed by Red Skelton. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.